Uh, Amy and I are going to speak this morning um, just about the vision of the church and where we've been and where we're going to be going. For those of you who weren't here last week, what I think Bishop Paul, who was, who was here with us uh, last Sunday, did was just begin a kick-off, kick-start our vision series. And really for the next two weeks, or three weeks in total, we want to spend some time looking back and celebrating all that God's done here at Trinity Church over the last year or so. And also then looking forward and asking and hopefully beginning to propose an answer to the question, what kind of church do we want to become? Um, and the question, of course, what kind of church do we want to become is, is, unique, is completely linked to the question, what kind of city do we want to become? Because uh, the church is given as a blessing and a gift to the city. We want to see God do something in both our church and our city. And the language we've uh, developed for that is that we want to see the church on fire and the city alive. The church on fire, that means this church on fire, set ablaze with the presence and power of God. But it doesn't just mean this church. We want to see the whole church in this city. Every denomination, every location just buzzing. And the best place, the best way to do that is to see and pray for an outpouring of God's presence. And it really is all about God's presence here at Trinity Church. And Bishop Paul, I think, articulated that brilliantly last week. And we just say yes and amen to everything he said. And if you weren't here, you can... There's this thing called the internet, folks. And, and also, there's another thing called podcasts. And if you are familiar with either of those things, you'll be fine. If not, come and have a chat with me. Uh, we'll figure that out. This week, we had a, a friend of ours visit from America. And one conversation I had with him came to my mind uh, and a few times this week. And we were talking and joking about how it would be great if he'd stick around because he's got loads of wisdom. He's been part of loads of churches and planted loads of churches. Been a pastor for 41 years. And um, I just said, oh, do you know, why don't you stick around? Why don't you stick around? And you could help us lead this church. And he said, no. And I was joking, by the way. Don't, don't be worried. But uh, maybe some of you are excited. I don't know. <laughs> he said, no, because then it could never be the church that's in your heart. And I guess what we want to do in this next couple of weeks is to share with you the church that God has put in our hearts. And it's for us that that journey of discovering the church that God has put in our hearts has taken 20 years or so. But I suppose before we get to that, we need to begin with the question, why? Why? Why the church? Why church at all? And why this church? Early on in the journey of this church, Will and I, in fact, Will and I, who's our curate here, Will and I met playing cricket uh, for the Church of England against the Vatican. As you do. <laughs> we won, by the way. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> and we were taking a tour, a midnight pretty much tour around Canterbury Cathedral, as you do. And the Dean of Canter Canterbury Cathedral just uttered, kind of as a throwaway line, these words, that whatever happens in Canterbury Cathedral, what they want to do in every interaction is this, to show people Jesus. And as we think about the why of Trinity Church, in fact, the why of the church at all, any church, that for us is it. We want to articulate it in one word, the answer, the word, the vision would be Jesus. We want this church to be a place that shows people Jesus. And that's why we want to be the church on fire. That's why we want to see the city alive, is because we want to show people Jesus. And this story of Trinity Church is all about that. 
That's the dream. That's the vision. That's the hope that people would see Jesus. Because we believe that you cannot see Jesus and not have your life transformed. It is a logical impossibility to encounter the living and risen Jesus who God the Father raised from the dead on the third day after he died a death for our sins in our place. You cannot meet him and not be changed. We think that's just impossible. And that transformation for some of us is absolutely momentary. It's like we meet him and everything, it's like blind Bartimaeus, everything, it's like the lights are switched on. We're in a dark room and then all of a sudden, wow, there he is. Oh my goodness, I see. Or maybe we'd say it's like seeing in monochrome and all of a sudden we see in technicolor. Maybe it's like that. Sometimes it's like that, momentary, it just happens. And for others of us, it takes longer than that. And it's like... It's like the lights are coming on, but it's like somebody's got a dimmer switch. You know, one of those things that didn't exist before, like 1995. <laughs> and they're just gradually turning up. And it's like, you don't see, I know, I'm looking around, I know this is happening for some of you right now. It's like you're beginning to see more clearly. And it's, you're beginning to see, it's gradual. In any case, it's Jesus that does it. And as we see him, we see in this story of Jesus Working through Trinity Church, Holy Trinity Nottingham, has not just started uh, last year when we arrived. In fact, this story, as Bishop Paul told us uh, uh, last week, has been going on for ages. There was another Trinity Church, Holy Trinity Nottingham it was called. And it, it was started in 1840, a long time ago. Pretty confident nobody remembers it. And there it is. And it was in Trinity Square car park. Just, it was where Trinity Square car park just down the road is. Those of you who are freshers may, may not have yet stumbled across Trinity Square, Square car park, but you will at some stage. 1840, that place started. Coincidentally, maybe providentially, exactly the same year that the Neal's Auction House was established in this place. And in our story, the two places are coming together. Anyway, the church lasted until 1958 when, because of various different reasons, it was, it was knocked down. The population moved outside the city, and so there wasn't the need for a church. In its life as a church, it did incredible things. Within the first six years, as Bishop Paul said last week, it had established two day schools with 5,800 kids being served and educated in the city. Within 10 years, there was a working men's class, a library, a savings class, a clothing club. Uh, there were two new churches planted. It was a place where leaders were raised up and sent out, some of them as far abroad as Melbourne, Australia, and some closer to home. This story, this story, Holy Trinity Nottingham story, is the story we're picking up on. We're continuing the work that they began. Yeah, so we thought we would um, share the story so far um, for those guys that are completely new and have no idea or have any context for the last year. Um, some of you actually have been part of this from right from the beginning, so um, it might be uh, quite fun to look back and see everything that has happened. Um, and then we'll sort of pull out from that um, later. Um, so we moved um, last September, so it was about a year. Uh, we moved with 15 of us, um, and, uh, and the first gathering was in our front room and there were about 15 of us um, just in our front room. There's going to be some pictures that are going along as I go. Um, 
And, uh, and it was a really sweet time. And we, um, we just prayed. So we met in our front room and we prayed. And, um, and as you can imagine, Johnny and I came with many ideas, many thoughts, many visions of what we wanted to do. And the one thing that us as a team, we all felt God was saying, you need to worship and you need to wait. Um, so that's what we did right at the beginning. We worshipped um, and we waited. And, uh, and as, the, uh, as our gatherings sort of increased, it, our front room became um, busier and hotter. I like to have the heating on in the, in the house and it became very sweaty. Um, and so we actually um, decided to meet here. Um, and so we decided to meet um, on Sunday nights here for some worship and wait. And literally all we did was we worshipped and we waited and we prayed. Um, and it was upstairs, as you can see, and it was freezing. Um, and the first night that we gathered, there were 50 people. And it was absolutely mind-blowing that 50 people would come to just worship and wait on God and see what he was doing here. Um, and it was, again, a really... Um, Amazing time. We continued doing that every other um, week. And on the off week, we did a social. We had a Mexican night where it was interesting uh, with a piñata where someone got whacked in the face. <laughs> Not uh, every idea has been a good idea, has it, <laughs> so far? Um, what other socials did we do? We did bo- we went bowling, bowling, didn't we? Mm. Yeah, bowling. Um, and so this sort of continued, and we really sensed the presence of God upstairs. Um, yeah, it was a really sweet time of just waiting on God and growing um, and getting to know each other. Um, and then the problem that we were coming against is we have four kids and we've got other team that have got kids. And we were just increasingly feeling like um, the kids are missing out. They can't come to the evening because um, they're asleep. Um, and so we decided that we were going to have a um, start a kids' church in our front room um, and the kitchen. So whilst this was going on on Sunday nights, in the morning, uh, we had kids' church. So we had the kids in the kitchen doing craft and will teaching them very profoundly um, about Jesus, um, which was amazing. So they did their thing um, in the kitchen. And then in the lounge, um, we had all the parents gathered together just eating baked goods and drinking coffee and just having a conversation. And, um, and really what we found in this time was it was actually um, a really um, sweet place where people on the fringes, or we had people who have never been to church at all, um, finding um, this sort of safe place at kids' church where their kids were just having a blast. You know, they didn't really know what they were doing. They were just getting covered in paint, eating sweets, um, and, and whilst they were just sort of having a chocolate um, or having a croissant and a coffee and just getting to know each other. And we actually found that it was this sort of open door. Um, it, it sort of was a bridge, really, um, from the ch- you know, sort of church into the world. Um, and it's something that we're, um, a model that we're definitely going to pick up on um, later on, definitely. Um, so Kids Church was continuing. That was brilliant. Um, and, uh, and as I said, in the evenings was going well um, until we realised um, that actually we were totally illegal uh, being upstairs. So there was zero health and safety. Well, no insurance, I think, no was insurance, the main problem. No insurance, yeah. Um, we, would, like, we would speak to Craig with our... Can we just edit that, that from the tape? Us. That doesn't go on the internet, thanks very much. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we sort of... Um, decided that it was probably the best idea to not be in the upstairs space. Um, and so very kindly, um, a church um, in Beeston, St. Barnabas, said that we could borrow their space. Um, so we began to meet there um, on a Sunday night. Um, and again, it was a great time of getting to know each other. We again feeling um, God, um, God's presence and him um, speaking to us um, and sort of really forming what we wanted to um, see. 
Um, so we continued that. Um, and then in January, we had a carol. Yeah, tell us about the carol service. Well, that is the carol service just there. So that was the first time we'd done anything really publicly where we invited people. Um, and there you go, that was it. It was a great time. <laughs> Excellent. He's like, moving on. Um, but yeah, as we um, then we began to, then we met uh, weekly um, in January. Um, and we just felt like there was this. Um, homesick feeling like we weren't at home um, and we knew that this building needed a ton of work um, but as we sort of began to pray and think about it as a team um, there was just an overriding sense of well why can't we be in the space you know it doesn't need to be perfect it doesn't need to be polished we're certainly not perfect and polished you know let let's bring everybody into the journey um, of the building um, as well as the journey of the church um, and so actually we um, came together and um, the bishop signed it off and, uh, and we sorted out the health and safety and insurance and, uh, and really we started to have some paint parties. Who was involved in all the paint parties? Well, thank you very much. Um, so we had um, people painting um, the walls outside uh, for like three days in a row um, and it was a really amazing time. We had a gift list um, where people were able to give um, to um, starting this place. And we had incredible um, generosity. We had people um, from one extreme giving like three grand for the sound desk. Um, and then also this um, lovely story of um, a boy in, in kids' church who saved his pocket money over two years and wanted to buy, um, this actually makes me feel emotional, um, and wanted to buy the train set for the kids. So he spent all of his savings from Christmas and birthday for two years, which was £38, and just exactly covered the train set that's in Kids Church. Just, and again, just beginning with this extravagant generosity. Um, yeah, so that was a really special moment. Yeah, I gathered myself, thanks. Um, and uh, yeah, and so, and then we launched in this place um, in Easter. So who's been here since Easter? Yeah, most, most, great. Um, so yeah, we've been in here since Easter and we've just absolutely loved it. We have, um, this increased presence of God um, has been amazing in the space and the openness. Um, so it feels like we're on a, in a really exciting place. And actually a couple of weeks ago, um, just as we were worshipping, I just sort of saw um, Jesus holding, um, holding my hand, walking down um, into what was like a basement or a cellar. Um, and it felt like, um, it felt a bit like unknown and a bit scary. Um, but I felt like he was taking us um, deeper, just taking us deeper. And that we know that he's holding us and that he's got us. And, um, and so I just feel like that for us as a, um, a community, that he's taking us down into the unknown, into the places that have been hidden, into the place that have been, has been, un, um, have been unseen. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like that's where I are right this moment so throughout that journey what have we seen uh, the first thing we've seen is people encounter the presence of God people have, been, people have met with God um, I'm really fascinated by this story of blind Bartimaeus and as you know and as we heard read what happens is that Jesus is coming into um, he's coming to Jerusalem he's coming into his kingdom he's about to be crowned as king now, of course, as the disciples have failed to gather up to this point, his coronation ceremony will be unlike any other coronation ceremony known before. He'll be exalted on a cross rather than on a throne. 
But Jesus is coming and is declared as king. And just before he arrives into the city, we have this moment where this guy, this blind man, Bartimaeus, sees, even though he can't see, he sees Jesus' true identity. Now, up to this point, the disciples have failed to see. We've just had James and John asking to sit at Jesus' right and his left. They totally don't get it. They have no picture of what Jesus has actually come to do. And this man, this blind man, is placed here and it functions here as like a juxtaposition. He stands against the disciples because though he can't see, he sees. And he cries out, Jesus, son of David, in other words, Messiah, King, have mercy on me. And what happens is this, Jesus stops. The crowd rebukes him, but Jesus stops and says, call him. And so it says, they called the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. What strikes me about this story is this. The first thing Bartimaeus ever sees is the face of Jesus first thing he ever sees in his life is the face of Jesus. In the Old Testament, the word for presence, the word for God's presence, literally is is God's face. To encounter the presence of God is to see God's face. And we've seen God's face in the face of Jesus. Jesus, Christians say, is the full representation of the character and the identity of God. To see the face of Jesus is to see and experience the face of God. We've seen that happen in this church. People have experienced what it's like to see God, to meet with God, to encounter God and to be changed as they experience him. For everyone, that looks different. But we've seen it happen in every possible context. We've seen that happen in our gathered worship. I experienced that just this morning. Some of you did as well. Uh, and a sense of God's presence. Now, affects each of us differently. I tend to either sing or cry when I experience God's presence, which, sorry for you, that means sometimes I sing a little bit much. But we see, sometimes, but sometimes we, so I noticed others in the room also moved, also just beginning to see tears. That's a gift that God gives. For some of us, we just feel overwhelmingly joyful. For some of us, we feel like a sense of peace. For some of us, it's like a weight on us, like a a weight on our shoulders. We might even experience a feeling of that. For some of us, when God's present, we don't feel any of that stuff. That doesn't matter. It's not about what we feel, but there's an awareness of God's presence in this church. It happens when we're gathered. I remember one particular occasion Uh, Amy sensed that the Lord was saying, look, we need to hold hands in this moment. And that, look, it was was as awkward as it sounds, right? You know, we were like, oh, hold hands? Really, Amy? It was definitely God, was it? (laughs) Definitely it was God. And so she was like, well, I don't know, but we're going to hold hands. So, uh, So a number of, well, we all held hands. We stood in these chairs and we held hands together. And though it was possibly the most awkward thing we've done as a church, as we did it, there was a profound sense of the presence of God and many of us were moved and stirred. I remember talking to somebody after that occasion and she said, look, in that moment, I just, I just couldn't stop crying. I couldn't escape the weight, the sense of God's presence with me. And a number of people have experienced that in our gathered environments. We experienced that a few weeks ago, particularly I felt when we talked about lament. 
when we talked about the fact that right at the heart of the, the journey of faith uh, and the Christian story is that we become a people who not just cry out in praise, but at times in our journey, we cry out in lament. We get to the end of ourselves and, and sometimes we just have to say, God, why? And as we did that together and as people came forward and were prayed for, there was an overwhelming sense, I felt, of the presence of God in this place. We've seen that happen in hospital rooms. That week when we talked about lament, we, Louise shared her story. And again, you can listen to this if you missed it. A story of her, her husband, George, who in the week before his, his death, uh, age 34, through cancer, uh, they were prayed for having had no faith up to that point and they both experienced the presence of God in that hospital room in a powerful way. I came into that hospital room a couple of days later and immediately as I came in, I was aware that God was there way before I got anywhere close. We experienced that in meals we've shared together. We've eaten a lot of food in the last year. We don't plan to stop anytime soon. We've experienced that at prayer gatherings that we've shared. This concept, this not just a concept, this reality of that we want to be a church that experiences, that encounters Jesus, that sees his face. This is a key value. This is who we are as a church. If you don't like that, if you don't like uh, moments, and, and you don't like a church that creates space and creates moments where we can experience God. You're not going to like it here. Because we want to make that our priority. We prioritize the presence of God. That means that prayer and worship mean a lot to us. I feel like we've made, I feel like I've never prayed as much as I have in the last year. And I, I know I've got, I'm just beginning. I feel like I don't pray at all. I've just got so much to learn. I feel like we've prayed a lot in this last year. We've learned so much about prayer. And I just sense the beginning. We've not even scratched the surface yet. I don't say that as a duty. I'm excited as I think about the prayer. The, the, I feel Tim Keller in his book, Centre Church, talks about one of the, the markers of revival, of renewal in the churches. He calls it extraordinary prayer. I think we're going to see extraordinary prayer in this place. You know, there's a, a, a church leader in, in this city uh, who will be speaking to us in a couple of, in a few weeks actually. And um, <clears throat> he and some of his uh, accomplices, I feel led to say, started praying on Friday night um, between about 11 p.m. and 5 a.m. all the way through the night. Started one Friday and they didn't stop for 28 years. Extraordinary. You know that we're picking up on something God's been doing in the city for a long, long time and prayer is right at the heart of it. We're going to create space and we're going to take risks. Sometimes that means we're going to hold hands. I'm sorry. <laughs> but the church in our hearts is a church that prioritizes the presence of God above all else. Yeah, and we've also, um, we've seen people become more like Jesus. And, um, and really, we've seen people um, share their lives together. We've seen people um, become vulnerable um, and sort of allow people in um, to things in their lives that they haven't let people in for years or ever. Um, we've seen um, people being um, given permission um, in this safe place to grieve for the first time. Um, you know, we've seen... Um, yeah, people ask for prayer, for people to um, share their lives. And this has happened through dinners. It's happened through um, just hanging out with each other, for going for coffee. It's happened right in this space right here. It's happened at the end of services. It's happened all over the place where people are actually um, feeling like it's okay um, to come as they are, to come exactly how they are in this broken um, position that people are feeling. Um, that we are accepted. And, uh, and that has been 
such a privilege to watch. Um, and actually, we've got some people um, who are going to come and share a little bit. We've got um, Claire Donovan. Where is she? Um, can't, why don't you come up? I, um, I actually bumped into Claire just at the door this morning. Um, and we were having a little chat, weren't we? And, um, and she just shared these two stories. I was like, that illustrates this perfectly. Um, so why don't you just share? So tell me, yeah, tell me what's been going on with you the last couple of weeks. So I'm a primary school teacher in an inner city school and I've, well, I had had a really tough class. It'd been really hard. I'd lost my joy, had that feeling that some children get, I don't really want to go to school in the morning. And I had to dig deep, put a smile on. I'm blessed to have this job. I'm going to do my best. And it was just really hard. And it was the end of week three. I just had a terrible week. And um, I was serving at church. I was like, no, I'm going to leave my worries at home and just be really blessed at church. And um, there was a time of prayer at the end. And I was at the door, um, part of my role as hospitality. And there was an announcement, would you like to come out for prayer? And in my head, I was like, I'd love to go out for prayer. But I'm on the door. I don't want people knowing how I'm feeling. I thought, no, I'm just going to go for it. And you know, when you hit rock bottom, God's there and the only way is up. So I came out and was just really honest and vulnerable about how school had been. And um, I just pray- I was prayed for and I cried and cried. And then I got home and I just pondered about what had been said. Um, and then I thought, Lord, you really need to help me. And I stumbled across sorry, this saying, and I've prayed it every morning. Sorry, just find it. She started her day with a simple prayer, Lord, lead the way. Then she stepped out of the door with a heart full of courage. And um, that's what I'd been doing. And on Friday, my TA was out on a course. And um, at the end of the day, I said, reception, I've never been able to say this before, but we've had a fantastic Friday. And there was a cheer in the classroom, but I cheered. I was like, God, you've really broken through. And then um, yesterday, I was, um, met a friend for coffee who um, comes here from time to time. And we've just developed that friendship from sitting next to each other on a Sunday morning, not knowing um, anything about each other. And we catch up and we've developed that vulnerability and that accountability. And that's just really precious because when you're feeling in a certain way, you're able to speak to them and say, this is how I'm feeling. Because for me, I'm quite a private person. I wouldn't wear my, I want my emotions on my sleeve. But actually, I've learned that there's nothing wrong with that. And this, that safe place of coming to church and being able to be vulnerable and be accountable to people is just so precious. Thanks so much. Um, to Jack. Hey. He's amazing. He puts out the chairs every morning. High five. Actually, Chris did it this Sunday morning. morning. So. Every Sunday morning. What did you just say? Chris did it this morning, so Chris, I can't high five. Today. <laughs> um, Jack, tell us what's going on with you <laughs> the last year. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> So I'm originally from Devon, same with Josie and Matt Proctor, wherever he is. Um, where do I start? So this time last year, I was in a job which I absolutely loved, in living at home with my family, probably as comfortable as you can be in life, had a pretty sweet deal. And then I heard God tell me to pack my bags up and move to Nottingham. I said no for like probably six weeks. 
argued with him for a long time. Finally did it. Um, and this last year has probably been the toughest year of my life. Uh, so I moved up without a job, without that security, which was a massive thing for me to do. Then probably four months into my time here, I was talking to my mum on the phone. And basically, my, my parents, I have a great relationship with my parents. And uh, my mum, I talked to my mum on the phone and found that dad wasn't living at home anymore. My parents were splitting up. Probably the toughest thing I've ever been through in my entire life. It was, it crushed me. And then I got a job, similar to what I've been doing before, but I hated it this time. And life is, so basically life hasn't been good the last year. I've so many ups and downs. But what I've, what I've encountered through sharing that pain with, I was talking, talking through lots of stuff with Will, who's not here at the moment, and many other people, just feeling so loved. And I think coming for this church and ex- just experiencing the presence of God every single week and that being the thing that got me through that time, I think nothing, nothing else mattered at that time. And I think the person I am now compared to what I was 12 months ago, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, Maybe I'd take the some some days I want to take the job back that I had before. That would be fun. <laughs> there are some days, Res. <laughs> but I would say that the person I am now, compared to twelve months ago, I wouldn't replace anything that's happened to me the last twelve months. I think I am my relationship with God is infinitely deeper than it ever has been. He's called me out. He's He's healing so many things within me purely through my through my desire to to meet with him and to be with him, I think. I don't know what I'm doing anymore. I don't know what I'm saying now, so I just scramble on. <laughs> but I just, yeah, in, in this church, I just encountered a group of people that nothing else mattered other than the presence of God. I'd never had that in life before. And through that, I've encountered God in a way that I never thought was possible. And I'm a different person because of it. And I wouldn't change that for anything. Amen. Thank you. Amazing. Amazing. Um, so we want to see more of that, and that will become more formalised. I think we're gonna, um, we are gonna have groups. I know we've been a lot of people saying, "Where are the groups? Where are the groups?" Um, and that is something um, that we are going to be putting in place. So we're going to have a whole um, Sunday talking about those soon. But again, that will be another way that we can structure um, this um, vulnerability in a relationship. Um, going deeper and becoming more like Jesus in that way. But there are other ways. Yeah, alongside that, just the the second thing we've seen as we've um, made it our aim to become like Jesus is that we've uh, gathered around, been centered around certain practices. And every day, these are very simple, but um, um, no doubt they'll grow. But every day we have said, we as a church want to join together in praying a psalm in the morning. Or when we wake up, for some of us, that's not always the morning. We do shifts or uh, other things, sleep in. Um, and uh, so we say a psalm together and we do one a day, basically, except now we're in Psalm 119. It's very long. Um, so it's not quite one a day, but we read a psalm in the morning and we just pray through that psalm. And we've seen people doing that all over the city. Some people do it in their home. Some do it in their pajamas. Others in their workwear. Some people do it on the way in the bus. Others maybe with their, their music, uh, 
audio playing in their ears as they go to wherever it is they're going, some in coffee shops, um, but we do it all in different places. But it's something that unifies us. And what we've learned is as we've learned to pray the Psalms, we've actually learned to pray. And for me, my, my prayer life's been really transformed by this, just reading a psalm every day and learning to pray through the psalms. That's one practice. The other one is that we pray at midday, and our alarm's probably going to go off awkwardly in about 10 minutes, as it does at the end of every service. But at midday, we pray the Lord's Prayer. And again, it's been fantastic. We've, we heard stories right from the beginning of consultant anaesthetists praying the Lord's Prayer in the middle of operations at QMC. We've seen students gathering at the end of lectures and praying the Lord's Prayer in a little huddle uh, in their lectures. We've seen uh, um, mums with their kids praying the Lord's Prayer. We've just seen it all, people just beginning. I remember one person saying to me again pretty early on, who knew that everything you need to pray every day is in one prayer? That's sort of why he gave it to us. It's amazing. So we've learned a load by just practicing that. And there's something like really, oh, it's very repetitive. But it's funny how different, um, and it is not, by, by no means does it feel meaningful every day. Uh, but it's powerful. These words are powerful words. And the final practice is at night, we pray the prayer of examine, which, which is very simply means we look back over our day with God. And uh, we'll be talking about those practices going forward, but there are others as well. Will preached an unbelievable sermon on Sabbath a few weeks ago, and I just felt there was too much there for us not to put something in place about Sabbath. For me, that looks like uh, breaking the tyrannical obedience I have to my mobile phone. Uh, But for you, it might be something different. That's what it's meant for us in this last year to become more like Jesus. Church, we ain't going to stop making that our aim. We want to be a people of his presence, falling more in love with him. And finally, we want to do the stuff he did. Yeah, and we've seen that. We, um, we used to share stories of obedience uh, where people would come up and um, sort of share where they have sort of responded to those nudges that they have felt in their day um, where God might be nudging them to go and do something or could go and speak to someone. Um, and we heard some amazing stories and we still do hear stories of people um, really making a difference in where they are, in their place of influence. And I've written some of the ones down that I remembered. Um, We heard stories of of people um, paying for groceries, um, felt like God said, pray for the person's groceries next in line. Um, We heard stories of um, people chatting to people on the street. One in particular, um, someone was going for a run and they um, found someone just sitting on a a bridge um, and began that conversation. And that has then... um, that has been escalated into lots more um, relationships that have happened um, through that one conversation. Um, we've um, heard of stories of people going out and giving the homeless dignity, speaking to them, not just ignoring them as, they, as you walk past, but we've heard of stories actually giving dignity and giving time to people on the streets. Um, we have um, heard stories of people going and taking the lonely to breakfast, just have this um, desire to want to connect the lonely. Um, and so they have... Um, made a way to take the lonely for breakfast. Uh, We heard stories of um, people sharing words um, of encouragement to each other for the first time, um, where they feel like maybe God might be saying something to someone else. It could be here, it could be out there, it could be in your work. We've heard stories um, of people really um, stepping out in faith in that way. Um, And again, seeing what God does with that one step of faith. We've heard of um, people sharing their faith at work for the first time, sharing faith with their um, school friends and school mums or school dads um, for the first time. Um, We heard of another story, some will remember, of um, 
someone who was praying um, for healing for someone who was about to run a marathon that had no faith whatsoever. And they were, um, and they were healed to be able to run this marathon. Um, and again, that was such a, an amazing story. I heard this morning um, that yesterday or last week, we um, prayed for people who can't sleep. And I just heard just before coming up here that um, as we prayed, they, their sleep has utterly transformed this week. Um, and so um, that's amazing. I think. Um, and yeah, so we've heard loads of stories and there are constant stories going on of where you guys are um, getting out there and being um, Jesus um, out in the work in your places of influence. You're doing the stuff he did and sometimes it's momentary like we've just shared, but there are other stories in our church of faithful and persistent being Jesus. I want to share one with you that I just heard this week of a member of our congregation who works at QMC, Jonathan, and he's worked there for a number of years and he, was, uh, he noticed a few years ago that one particular operation had um, disproportionately bad outcomes. Would that be a fair, fair way to put it? <clears throat> and the mortality rate in that particular emergency operation was 20%. And he gathered and began to lead a team of people who began by looking at the patients. Nobody had done it before. Nobody had said, hang on, how, how so many people? How many, so, so many patients? And then here's the thing, it wasn't immediately, they weren't dying immediately, but it was usually within 30 days of the operation. He noticed, he looked at the people and he said, something's going on here. Let's look at it. He brought together a team and they began to look at the operation. And they began to think, how can we improve the rates of, um, of recovery after this op- operation? So he gathered his team and they looked not at the individual firstly, brought people together. And then he looked at what the system was doing, which was failing the people began with a focus on the individual, but it never stayed there. It began to look systemically. It was a leadership thing. It was based around unity. And in 10 years of hard work, the mortality rate for that operation has dropped from 20% to 10%. That's extraordinary. Isn't that extraordinary? You know, you think about, uh, for Jonathan, he might have laid his hands on one person in operation. Maybe they'd have been healed. That would have been great for that one person. But this way of serving Jesus... This way of doing it has saved 10% of the people who've had that operation. An extraordinary vision for what it means to do the stuff that Jesus does. Isn't that what Jesus does? He looks at individuals. And then he, he begins to think bigger than just the individual. He gathers people together, disciples, and begins to make a change. And it's about faithful and persistent service in the city. Going forward, we are hungry to see individuals and institutions transformed by a church empowered by the Spirit of God in love with Jesus and equipped to live it out Monday to Sunday. It's our vision. We want to see more and more stories like that. And that's going to look like groups, formal groups out of this church, but it's also just going to be about individuals faithfully doing their job in the power of the Spirit. Church, we want to encounter God. We want to become like Jesus. We want to do the stuff he did. What is it going to take? Everything. Everything. It's going to take everything. Everything we are and everything he is. When I think about the church that's in our heart, that's it. It's a church that's willing to give everything, to bring everything, for whom anything that Jesus would ask of us is not too much to ask who's learning and growing in our willingness to give him our life, to surrender ourselves, that his kingdom would come, 
that his will will be done in our lives and through us in Nottingham as it is in heaven. Can we stand?